Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm feeling better. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Um, uh, in, in in particular, I am good because um, I want to ban some shit. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. I, I don't. I don't want to ban anything. But today, listeners, actually, are... <laughs> I wouldn't mind banning certain things. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Like, okay. Like okay. I would I got... ban people at work who uh, who warm up fish in the microwave. <laughs> That's it. You're done. <laughs> I don't know who you are, and I don't know why you've done this, but you have to go now. Because that smell permeates the environment. And it stays in in, and it stays in the environment. Like when did this happen? It happened three months ago and it still smells like that. Okay, I I got something I want to ban. Lima beans. I hate lima beans. Okay. I don't even like the smell, okay, in the kitchen when lima beans are being cooked. Okay. Okay. Okay, and and that comes from. I don't know how you would how you would do that because there's a whole bunch of southern recipes that require lima beans. Yeah. Well, you know, hey, but there that actually informs our theme for today, which is just because you don't like something doesn't necessarily mean it should be banned. So what we're talking about today, uh, folks. Um, and, and this is a podcast episode that was uh, suggested to us by uh, a couple of our loyal readers, or readers, listeners, okay? <laughs> they also uh, are readers, readers, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they read the transcript. Uh, but these are also a couple of my former students, okay, who have, ta- who have had the unfortunate experience of taking constitutional law with me. They wanted to know, can school districts ban books? So it got Nia and I thinking, right? Um, and you know, we started doing a little bit of research as we're we are want to do. Um, and I happened across um a report uh from an interest group, um, Pen America, um, which has an index of school book bans. <laughs> right? Yep. <laughs> and uh, and ALA has a banned books week. Yes, they do. Yes. Every year, which is, by the way, the week after Constitution Week. Week. The American so Library the, Association. Yep. Constitution Week is September 17th, is the week where September 17th falls. And the week after that is Banned Book Week. Yes. So, PEN America issued a report for 2022-23 school year. Uh, of course, they can't issue one for the current school year because it's still ongoing. Um, but they uh, found... Over 1,400 instances, Nia, of individual books being banned in public school libraries across the United States, okay? Now, some of these instances had similar books. So the actual number of books, okay, was 874. But this was an increase, Nia, okay, compared to 2022. Um, uh uh, this report also mentioned, uh, and some of our listeners are probably aware because of news reports, of book bans that have occurred recently in the states of Texas, Florida, Missouri, Utah, South Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. Overwhelmingly, the book bans um, focus on uh, uh, books written by or about people of color or uh, LGBTQ plus individuals, all right? Um, And it's got us thinking. Um, And some of the books were labeled pornographic or indecent. Um, um, But this got us thinking, and this was the, the nature of the question from some of our listeners. Can these school boards constitutionally ban books so that their students cannot have access to them, right? Right. Uh, before we before we answer that question, yes. Um, from a librarian point of view, <laughs> yes. uh, 
We do have the, a librarian in, in our midst. In the house, yes. as it in were. The, There's a librarian yes. in the house. Yes. Um, so a thing that people don't know about how books are chosen, which I think is an important thing to know before you get into the constitutionality of banning said books, is how do books arrive on the shelf? Yes. Um, I am going to break hearts and crush souls when I say <laughs> Most librarians do not read books before they go on the shelves. It would be it, physically impossible for them impossible. to do so. Okay. It would be <laughs> impossible. And so what happens is in school districts, that purchasing is done at a central facility. There's yes. a central facility of collections librarians. They have what are called standing orders in most school districts. They buy all the Caldecott winners, right? Any anything where because those are prestigious books book awards. Yes. They buy those titles automatically mm -hmm. because they are considered to be standards of what you should have in your library. They also have what's called demand-driven acquisition. So if if a student or a parent asks for a book more than a certain number of times, it will automatically get purchased and put into the system. Yeah, so to that That's... point, Nia, uh, I'm going to interrupt uh, your flow here. To okay. that point, when the Harry Potter series became extremely popular. Great Google Mooglies. Okay, there were a number of school districts across the United States reporting that they were getting multiple requests from students right. or parents of students, okay, where, you know, do you have the Harry Potter series? And in some cases, if they only had one book each in the series and they were already, you know, they were frequently being checked out, would the school district get a second complete series or a third complete series? But to your point, that was demand driven. Right. Yes, that was demand driven. Right. And there's, and there's what's called evidence-based acquisition at the university level. And in some district level, in, in large districts. And evidence-based is, so a publisher will say, here's a bunch of electronic versions of the books. We'll give them to you for free. But once people click on them three times, we'll make you buy it. Yeah. Or three or five, five times. It's usually three or five times. So it's like a bit like a drug dealer. Here's <laughs> yeah. your first couple of hits for free. Your third hit's going to cost you, right? Yeah. That that um, that is a common strategy for large districts. Like you think New York, right? New York has hundreds of schools. Yeah. So publishers will come in with electronic books, and kids like to read books on phones they like to re read books on other Kindle. devices ipad yeah. other yes. devices right so they will say here we'll give you all the books in the world but then once it's hit three times by three unique users which in new york would happen in approximately five minutes of a book being available yes. because it's so many kids such density then you start then it automatically purchases those books so <clears throat> so this this idea that librarians have read every single book that's on the shelf vcu libraries has three million physical items yes that does not count our electronic books which we just can't even get into the number of those three million physical items i promise you there's not one person in the library who has touched all three million items um it's just not physically possible possible so so there is this weird idea of holding librarians directly responsible. Now, that being said, the librarians do purchase individual titles. When a title is, uh, and I'll tell you what happens, is when they get asked for it. When when kids in the school yeah. come in, your daughter, when she comes to the librarian and she says, hey, do we have blah, blah, blah? And another kid comes in three days later and says, hey, do we have blah, 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 same book title? The librarian's going to go, huh, this is a book kids want to read. And you know what librarians want more than anything 
is to give you a book that you want to read. Yes. Like that yeah. feels to us the way it feels for cooks when they cook you a perfect meal and you go, oh, this was fantastic. That's how we feel about giving you a book that you want to read. The kids who are made to read things, it always makes me sad, right? Because yeah, because you, you develop a hatred. I have a personal hatred for Dickens because I was forced to read Dickens all through high school. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just like, I don't care about your tale of two cities. I don't care about David Copperfield. Leave me alone. I don't want any of your writing because I was made to do that. But I have a great love for a lot of other books because I got to read those books. They were a reward in, in that yes. sense. Yeah, and, and so and, let's just keep that in mind, in mind that school districts are, particularly school district librarians are not necessarily trying to brainwash students. The process is not necessarily designed to, if you will, promote or further a particular side of the ideological spectrum or certain kinds of attitudes about certain peoples, etc. No, in many instances. It's not that there wasn't a thought process. It's just libraries want people to read. Right. So and libraries want to have people have a diverse um spectrum of ideas, of ideas available to them. Yes. Like okay. That's it, a huge when we look for authors of color, the reason we do that is because huge numbers of authors of color for years and years and years were not published or they were not published by large press. That's why when you think of classics, you almost always think of white, Western, mostly male authors. Yes. Right, because yeah. that's who got published. Because guess what, folks? Books were expensive. Books were expensive up until about 50, 60 years ago. Books were really expensive. And yeah. you couldn't just, well, maybe 100 years ago. But anyway... You can't, you couldn't publish everybody, and so certain people got shaken out of that list, and we're trying to balance that by bringing those voices back in. It's better for a kid when they can see themselves in the book, and, and so having that diversity is important. Sorry, okay, I'm now off my soapbox. No, 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 but one, one last point before you do get off your soapbox. Again – when libraries have more diverse book selections by a more diverse set of authors, it's in part because libraries want people to come to the library. Right. They just don't want white, middle, and upper class kids to come to the libraries. They want kids of all races, all socioeconomic backgrounds, because they want people to read. Right? And they want upper middle class white kids to read books by books, authors, authors of color yes. to understand that their experience is not the only experience in the world. Yes. And it is and not, it, it, in fact, the most important experience in the world that all experience is important. Yeah. And, and and all dreaming is important. All fantasy is important. All of take a book taking you away to someplace else is a magical experience. And we want all kids to have that because we want them to love reading. And I think we, yeah, because that's I mean, a complicated, it... you know, when you take books out of a system, when you say, I want to ban this book for whatever reason. You need to really think about the message you're sending, which is, I don't want a kid to read this. I don't want a kid to read. Like, yes. that is a dangerous sentiment to to engage with. Yeah. And, and And the idea also that you can ban what other kids read. Like, I personally think parents should be in charge of banning books, right? Like parents should say, my mom should not have let my dad give me Le Carre when I was 12. I didn't understand it. And it was too sexy and too weird and too dark. And sure, you yeah, know, she should have put her foot down, right? But she was like, oh, you know, your dad, he read it, he liked it. Well, yeah, because my dad was in his 30s. So 
Yeah, I'm, my my mom, if she had to do it over again, she probably wouldn't have allowed me to go ahead um, uh, and uh, use some of my hard-earned money at a yard sale and purchased um, uh, a very well-worn copy of Mario Puzo's The Godfather. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. When, when I was right? 10 years old. And because that's I a can... different question. What's appropriate for 10-year-old John Agabas? Probably not a horse head in the bed. You know what I mean? Like it's probably yeah, right. not okay. the godfather. Because there were some things in that book where I was just like, oh, so that's acceptable adult behavior. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. But again, the burden then shifts to the parents to right. say, to their individual children, you know, I don't think you should read this or I don't think you should read this yet. Exactly. But I'd like you to wait on this a couple of years. Couple years, right? I mean, I mean, uh, you know, Mackenzie, uh, uh, you know, my ex, uh, Mackenzie's mom and I have had to sit Mackenzie down. My uh, uh, daughter likes graphic books, but some of those graphic books tend to depictions of violence. Right. She's not ready at 11, and we don't want her exposed to that. But I've told her, when you get older and you have a better understanding of, okay, what leads to violence, the negative, you know, the downsides of violence, okay, then you can read those books, okay? But we want you to read, and there are plenty of graphic graphic novels for younger children that don't have depictions of violence, okay, where all the women, you know, look like, you know, supermodels and, you know, and, you know, not all the dudes, okay, are these well-muscled buff individuals that you see in a lot of graphic books, okay? Right. But again, the emphasis there is on the parent, but you then you have, with many of these book bands, you have parents who are going to schools or getting state laws passed that ban books for all children. Right. Okay. Right. They and, read and, them and they find inappropriate passages or they find passages that they that they view as vulgar or, or, or inappropriate or whatever or the case may be, what right? However, telling that a large majority of those are written by people of color and people in the LGBTQIA community, right? Like, yes, really? I mean, I, okay. And, sorry, I'm just going to say this, and if anybody is offended, I apologize for perhaps the way I'm communi communicating it, but have you read the Bible? <laughs> that thing's full of sex and violence. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're, you know, you have to be cautious about one person's vulgar is another person's religious icon, yeah. right? Like, yeah, so, I mean, you know, it, 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 yeah. Question. I mean, and so what we're getting is a lot of parents who are pushing the removal of books. Not a lot. Actually, that's not true. Not a lot of parents. A relatively small number are are actually responsible for a large number of the attempts yeah. at banning. And what the process is, is the parent goes to the school board and says, and stands up at the school board meeting and reads certain passages out of books. And the school board is horrified and says, that's it. We're banning that book. Yes. That book can't be in the school system. So then it begs the question, does the school board have the authority, okay, constitutionally to ban books? Now, Nia, you just got off your soapbox. I'm going to briefly step on one of mine. Okay. And that is, um, because this issue of banning books has been in the media, various media organizations have, you know, uh, posted articles about whether or not school districts or states can ban books. And I came across one in December, okay, that just boldly declared, okay, that it was settled Supreme Court precedent and there are a number of lower federal court rulings that have maintained that banning books is unconstitutional. And I was, and, and 
I had one of those, I'm yelling at my computer screen, right? Moments, right? Okay. And listeners, I've shared with you the fact that, for instance, my daughter, okay, cannot be in the room with me when election results come out because I start yelling at the TV, okay? Or that, you know, when I'm watching, you know, sporting events of my favorite teams, she doesn't like to be in the room because I start, you know, saying some profane things about refs, the opponents, my own team, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) I had one of these moments. And the soapbox issue here is the media sometimes, okay, in their desire to present a very clear narrative, misrepresents a Supreme Court, if you will, ruling or set of precedents that's not clear. And that's the case in regards to whether or not book banning is or is not constitutional, right? So the controlling Supreme Court case is a case from 1982. The Island Tree School District versus Pico. We'll just call it Pico, right? So this is a case um, where middle school and high school libraries um, in a school district in Long Island, New York, decided to remove 10 books from those school libraries, right? Um, And some of the books... Um, are pretty well-known books, right, by well-known authors, right? Richard's, Richard Wright's Black Boy, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse-Five, Eldridge Cleaver's Soul on Ice. You had titles by uh, Bernard uh, Malamud, Alice Childress, right? The removal occurred because the vice president of the local school board was – a retired New York City police sergeant. He deemed the books obscene, anti-American, and quote, just plain filthy. <laughs> and and what irritates the snot out of me about that is he had he admitted that he had not read the books. No, he had not read them at all. In fact, so he... just plain filthy, even though you haven't read the book. Oh. And the the list came from um, uh, an interest group that had uh, arisen in Western New York, the Parents of New York United, (laughs) okay? Pony you, okay? Pon you. Pon you, right? Which is (laughs) the precursor for an interest group of recent vintage that has become very well known. The Mums for Liberty, which is the modern conservative book banning group from the fine state of Florida, right? So, um, Pico challenged the book ban, right? The federal district court judge in Brooklyn ruled in favor of the school board, all right? But there was an appeal. There was an appeal. The Second Circuit Court of Appeals reversed that ruling. So the school board didn't like that, so they appealed to the U.S. <laughs> Supreme Court, okay? As listeners well know uh, for this podcast, listeners of this podcast well know, okay? Th- this is the normal, if you will, the appeals process, right? right. Gets to the Supreme Court, <laughs> and the vote on the court, and I kid you not, listeners, was 4 one four. Four of the justices said the school board violated the freedom of speech clause of the First Amendment. Four of the justices said, nope, the school board did not violate freedom of speech found in the First Amendment. And then there was one justice who said, yeah, we need to send the case back to the lower court to determine why the school board banned the books and to decide on the content of the specific books, because that one justice said, in some instances, the school board could have the authority to ban books, but in other instances, they could not. And I happen to know this one justice, or at least your, your work. That is your beloved Byron White. Byron White. 
He was the one justice, right? If anybody's curious, that's who Augie wrote his dissertation, dissertation on. on, right? So, and I'm very familiar with his opinion in this case, right? So, for national media to go ahead, that Supreme Court precedent about and say it's settled, it's settled, and it's clear. <laughs> when it's four one four four one four, it is not clear. Okay, this almost by definition, Nia. The Supreme Court's ruling in this case is what drives constitutional law scholars bonkers because it's not clear. Yeah. Right. There are three plausible alternatives that a lower federal court could follow. Right. So the one the one perspective was in the um, uh, the opinion written by Justice Brennan. Right. All right. Brennan said that minors are citizens just like adults, and that they have a right per the First Amendment's Freedom of Speech Clause to, quote, receive information and ideas. All right? The other opinion, okay, the other, you know, uh, uh, the other perspective was written by Chief Justice Berger. He wrote... Okay, that parents should have influence, if not control, over their children's education. Okay, and he said that school boards, school districts, school libraries can ban books, but if parents want their kids to have exposure to their, these books, then they can simply go to a bookstore and buy them. <laughs> Which, just as a side note, no, no. that. That says that shows Berger doesn't understand how <laughs> poor people work. Poor work, right? And I how mean, libraries work. The point of libraries, libraries is that you is, don't have to go buy a book because book. yes, you may okay. or may not be able to afford the book. You may or because, may not have space to store the book. Like, well, seriously, he you, also wrote, but he also wrote that the. The board could wholly dispense with school libraries as far as the First Amendment is concerned. So in this particular instance, Chief Justice Warren Berger can bite me. <laughs> because okay. no, because while, yes, technically they could get rid of libraries, that's a horrible message to send to kids. Yes. I mean, and, and again. Books. You don't need no stinking books. Historically, one of the purposes of libraries was to actually democratize society exactly. to level to level the playing ground. That, that access is why they were originally built. You know, access to ideas, thoughts, different cultures, different way of doing things, feelings and emotions that you may have never been exposed to is available to you simply because you're a member of society. Right. Of that society, right? And I can go ahead and tell you that, you know, as a poor kid growing up in rural Pennsylvania, okay, um, libraries were the great leveler as far as I was concerned in my upbringing, right? Because I had exposure to all kinds of books, and one of my most cherished memories of my youth was that Saturday morning when my mom took me and my sisters to the library and we got our first library cards, right? And, you know, and, and the librarian said for an extra fee for like 10 cents, I mean, because there was no fee to get the library card, but for 10 cents, we will laminate your card. I had that library card until I was like 25 years old, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, but nevertheless, there Andrew was... Carnegie built 2,509 libraries Braves. between 1883 and 1929. Yep. I mean, the point of the library systems in the United States was poor people did not have to be did not have to be able to buy a book in order to read a book. That's right. And that people could improve their library their their lives rather through reading. And and by the way, for Carnegie and many so of the and many of can just bite bite me. And by the I'm way, for but you know, but there was also a narrow self interest for Andrew Carnegie and other robber barons. They had built these big industries, and they wanted workers 
who could read right so that they could read they could read instructions and manuals so that they could do their jobs better and there was less training and fewer accidents etc etc again you don't get the modern industrial united states with a poorly educated workforce right you just don't we know this in underdeveloped nations Okay, when you don't have a good education system, when you don't have a population that knows how to read, economically they struggle in part because they don't know how to read. Right. Okay. I mean correct. Okay. So so, so we get so we get the Brennan side and we get the burger, burger side. Burger side and then in and the then middle. And then we get Justice White in the middle. <laughs> yes. Who's the swing vote, right? He's yes. the yeah, he was a swing vote throughout the 70s and throughout the 80s, right? He went ahead and said, we don't have to decide the constitutional issue. We should send the case back to the district court, okay, to do more fact-finding as to why this school district decided to remove these books. And he, and he said, and, and I highlighted this, right? The plurality, and I'm making reference to Brennan's uh, opinion, the plurality seems compelled to go further and issue a dissertation on the extent to which the First Amendment limits the discretion of the school board to remove books from the school library. I see no necessity for doing so at this point. When the findings of fact and conclusions of law are made by the district court, that may end the case. If, for example, the trial court concludes after a trial that the books were removed for their vulgarity, there be there may be no appeal. In any event, if there is an appeal, if there is a dissatisfaction with with the subsequent court of appeals judgment, okay, there will be time enough to address the First Amendment issues that are presented. Okay. In other words, and he says this later. We should not decide constitutional questions until it is necessary to do so, or at least until there is a better right reason to address them than is evident here. All right. So all White agreed in regards to Brennan was to send the case back to the lower court. Now, Brennan was sending a rather strong message to the lower court. At least four of us here on the Supreme Court think that book banning in school libraries is unconstitutional. But it's also plausible for a lower court to go ahead and say, yeah, but there are four justices, including the chief, who says, we don't even have to have books. So suck it, right? right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so there, in my estimation, as a constitutional law scholar, all right, the matter is not clear. Right. And you can see this since the Pico decision in 1982. Can I can I ask a question? Wait, before we yeah. leave Justice White. Yeah. So was he not did he not also say, though, that if if books were banned for political reasons, like if you're a if you're a school board that skews Republican and you just and you just ban books by Democrats or books that that. Yes. portray Democrats in a positive light, that is unacceptable. That that is not an acceptable reason to ban a book. Yeah. That, this... that acceptable reasons fall more into the into what we think of when we think of community vulgarity standards. Yeah. Right? If your so... community standards are such that, that that book is violating, then the school board could ban the book. Didn't he say there was there were actual instances where yeah, they they really couldn't ban a book. If if one reads the entirety of White's separate opinion, he mentions two things. One, Nia, that you just mentioned, which is he really cautioned the district court to force the school board to engage in reasoned decision making. Right. And you and I have talked about this previously in other podcast episodes. Byron White was a huge advocate that government administrative bodies use reasoned decision-making. 
that if they were not arbitrary and capricious in their decision-making, then the courts should support their decisions. So to your point, okay, and White covers this, if a school board is just removing books for political reasons, okay, then that does not no. yeah, that does not satisfy the First Amendment. However, and here's the second point I wanted to raise, White was also very clear that historically school boards have the authority, okay, to restrict the rights of their students because they are trying to protect and educate them. So you see this, for instance, in schools, right? And, you know, and I say this in my constitutional law class, students don't have as robust civil liberties as do adults. Underage students. Underage this students. This is not higher education, education. students. That's, no, th this is a different animal. K, K through 12. 12. Yeah, that's right. Anybody part, under the age of 18 does not have the same level of rights, rights that people over the age of 18, of 18 have. And I know this kind of like, you know, stinks for, you know, you know, you know, 15, 16, 17 and 18 year olds. But American society still views you as a quote unquote minor. You're not right. an adult yet. OK, and we want schools to go ahead and impart, educate our youth but also protect them, okay? And if a school board can, if you will, demonstrate that they had good sound reasons, it could be because, you know, the text in question has too much senseless violence, you know, see the godfather, right? Okay, <laughs> okay. Or, you know, there's gratuitous sex that has like no context, right? Right. Or, you know, you know, whatever the case may be, right? You know, the Supreme Court historically has been fairly consistent. It will allow the government to go ahead and pass all kinds of laws to protect children. And in protecting children, that might be limiting their civil liberties and civil rights. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, that's right. the balancing of, you know. Trying to find that sweet spot, spot of. of Allowing kids freedom, but protecting, protecting them from from violence, from yeah, right. Other I mean, things. Okay. Right. Now, oh. I would say that one of the reasons that Justice White may or may not have felt that way in this particular case is because the retired sergeant hadn't read the books. Yeah, I mean, that yeah. he was trying to ban. The first thing that it, that that I would think would be an idea for the school board is read the book. Yeah. Read the book that you're trying to ban. <clears throat> read the book that somebody is case. telling you about instead of letting them tell you about it. Read the book, read the context, understand what it is, and then and then make a decision about whether you think it should be banned or not banned. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, and personally here, in, in Nia, you and I have talked about this off recording. Um. I don't like book bans, right? And again, you know, listeners, I've shared earlier in this podcast episode how important libraries were to me, you know, as a, you know, poor kid from a broken home. Um, and just the, the you know, the places books took me, right? right. Places that I could never afford books help. Books can be incredibly empowering. Okay. On the other hand, okay, I think that if Your any of these... Your 10-year-old self should probably not have had the godfather. <laughs> Father, right? Okay. Um, and, um, and and I still remember in Which some of my... Which around when the movie came out, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> well, a few years later, but nevertheless, okay. But I still remember uh, uh, high school literature teachers um, sending home the book list to our parents you know, books that we would be reading, right? And books that were available at the library and saying to our parents, okay, you need to investigate and decide whether or not you think your son or daughter is ready to read a book with these themes, these subject matters, these issues, etc. right? And I'm kind of sort of torn here 
because I think government institutions in regards to educating our young should have the authority to ban certain books or at least not have certain age groups read them because they may not be ready. But then this takes me back to my old saw that I'm sorry, listeners, you've heard me say over and over again. Just because the government has the authority to do something doesn't mean it should use that authority. And I think school libraries, school boards, state legislative bodies need to think long and hard about banning books. Because not only are they denying access to all the great places that books can take these kids, but they send a particular message to the kids, which is, we don't trust you to read a book to understand what the book is saying and reject what you think is problematic or accept and admire what you think is good. And wow, that sends a really powerful message, okay, to our future generations, right? Again, just because the government has the authority to do something doesn't mean it should use that authority, right? You know, I have the authority to quiz my students every class session, okay? I don't for a lot of good (laughs) reasons, right? Okay. Um, In a future podcast episode, we're going to take a look at laws that are on the books, right? And many of these laws have not been, you know, used in decades or centuries. But people could be arrested for breaking those laws. And then that puts the burden on prosecutors and cops as to whether or not they enforce those laws. And just because you have the authority to enforce a law doesn't necessarily mean you should use it or that you should arrest somebody, right? You know, because that's the power of the state, right? Right. That's that's the power of the state. I um, <clears throat> I suspect that in part, uh, I um, my opinion is different, slightly different because of the crabby nature of my personality. <laughs> there are books I think should be banned because they're crap. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, crap. Like, like <clears throat> the, the get rich quick books and the, and the ones um, cures they don't want you to know about Kevin Trudeau, like his crap, his stuff should just be, not only should it be banned, it should be used as firewood. Like it, it's, it's, See, those you, are dangerous you, 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 you go further than me because for me, okay, I, I leave it to the yeah, individual, see, the individual I, I think those reader. Those are just dangerous books because they're just awful. But those are not generally found in schools. No. Mm-mm. And the books we're talking about in schools, I, I don't believe in banning books from kids, but I do believe in age-appropriate materials. Material, yeah. And so and, if you and, are and one you of say, those unfortunate that... school librarians who is working at an actual K through 12, yeah. right? You're in a rural district and you got 300 kids in your entire school. You've got to figure out a way to keep yes, to keep the ages appropriate as they go through the school. You've either got to have shelving where the books are as as you get higher up on the bookshelves they get more adult right or you know they 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 change in appropriateness so that as you get taller you, you can reach the ones that you ought to be reading or you um, deny or access you put them in, right or, you put them you on know, a shelf of, yeah. or in a case yeah i mean because i got to be honest with you here some of the books that um uh island tree school district banned i've read I think I read pretty much all the books or all the authors that they banned, but some of those books I should not have read and would not have been appropriate for me to read in middle school. Yeah, no 10-year-old should read Slaughterhouse-Five. I'm not trying to slam (laughs) Kurt Vonnegut. It's a great book book. for an older kid, but it is not appropriate for a 10-year-old. So, like, 
Yes. What the problem is, is that when you ban something, there's no nuance. What yes. you're saying is this book is outright bad. Yeah, and there yeah. are very few books that fall into that category. I have named a couple of sets of them. But generally <laughs> speaking, there are very few books that fall into that category. We don't write we we don't generally find on the shelves books that are just irredeemable. So yes. so what we need to do is figure out a way to keep them out of the hands of younger kids but into the hands of older kids so that those kids can experience as we said age appropriate materials yeah yeah and and so i i don't like and then and i then, personally would ban from any library that i could find 50 shades of gray because i hate that book um <laughs> for a variety of reasons but that's my personal opinion, and that should not prevent you from reading Fifty Shades of Grey if you long to do so. So that's right. So I mean, if I you, so even or, though I could ban them as a librarian, I wouldn't because you that, earlier that needs to be earlier in the episode. Opinion. Yeah, earlier in the episode, Nia, you went ahead and um, uh, were less than positive about Charles Dickens, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Okay, I don't care. Okay, sorry. I, but I love <laughs> I love Dickens, and, and lots of people do. Okay, and and I still remember I was applying for a scholarship, um, uh, my senior year of high school, uh, to help fund my um, college education. Okay, it was a Rotary scholarship, and one of the questions they asked during the interview was, "What's your favorite book?" Okay, and at the time, my favorite fiction book was uh, Dickens' Great Expectations, okay? Um, and I d explained why, okay? I even told them when I first took it out from the library, okay, how excited I was when it got assigned to us uh, when we were, you know, sophomores in high school, right? Et cetera, et cetera, right? But book bans don't allow for that kind of diversity of reading experience you don't right. like dickens i do. and i love shakespeare love okay. shakespeare okay i i would read hamlet every day for the rest of my life if i had time okay you would probably act it out you would act out the different oh my if gosh. you will characters. i will go see bad versions of hamlet <laughs> okay because even a bad version of hamlet is better than the best version of certain <laughs> other things Thanks, right on the other hand i know plenty of people who don't like spy mystery books, right? Yep. So, you know, you mentioned the fact Le that <laughs> John Le Carre, right? Okay, I know people who I've recommended Le Carre books to. They've attempted to read one. They can't get it through, can't get through one. And they're just like, that was some boring stuff. Me, I was just like, I found everything about it fascinating. From the, the bureaucratic, okay, analysis, Okay, to you know the 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 discussion of cultures and values and how you know Great Britain wasn't any better than you know the Soviet Union, okay, to you know just you know the obvious misogyny that was in Lacare's books. I was just like, dude, I know you're depicting what was going on in spy organizations, but you got some serious issues with women. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, but, but you would not have discovered that if someone had said no said, one is, is is allowed to read Le Carre. That's right. And I didn't get to Le Carre until I had first read Graham Greene. OK, and I got to be honest with you, Graham Greene was probably not appropriate for my 14, 15 year old <laughs> self, but I had access to it. And I appreciate it enough to where when I r went back and read Graham Greene books later, when I was an adult, I was just like, oh, there was so much more here, right? But again, but th my that larger, that my only... larger complaint about book bans is it abdicates parental responsibility. Well, yeah, there is that. 
Okay. You should not be deciding. You as a parent should not be deciding what my kid reads. Yeah. yeah you as a yeah, parent should be yeah. deciding what your kid reads. Yeah. And it is inappropriate for you as a parent to decide that my kid shouldn't have access to whatever book. I will never forget when the first Harry Potter book came out and people went berserk because it was wizards and witches and witchcraft and blah 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 and do you know how many millions of kids got hooked on reading because they started with the harry potter series like we can't buy that kind of joy in reading oh my goodness and and you're trying to get it banned sit down sit down you can keep your kid from reading it and that's your right that's in fact your responsibility but you should be Your mom, when you came home from the library, should have glanced through the books. (laughs) Now, she didn't have time because she was a working single mom. Mom, Good luck on that. Right. Okay. But like if she had glanced through the books and she had said, hmm, Graham Greene might be a little old for you there, buddy. (laughs) Take that one back and get something else. Then – but that's her responsibility. responsibility. Yeah. You know, this idea that you can ban them for other people. I am all about you choosing not to read. I do not eat Brussels sprouts. You know why? Because they're disgusting. And that's I don't how care I feel how about you lima beans. Yes. Right. I don't I, care I how you cook them. I'm not lining up for Brussels sprouts. I've eaten them t- tasty once in my entire life. I don't you know care what that what means. You... More Brussels sprouts for Neil Brussels Allen. <laughs> my best friend. Who loves Brussels sprouts? And okay. he cooks them and he makes them and they're delicious for him. And that's wonderful. More for him. None for me. For me. And that's that, fine. That's yes. how books books should work. If if you don't want to read, and that's if you don't you... want to read whatever it is, like if somebody doesn't want to read Le Carre, awesome. Move on to the next author in the in the genre, right? Move on to Alistair McLean. Move Maybe. on to whoever else. The, there's... I, I don't know. I don't understand this idea of I'm not just going to ban it for my kid. I'm going to ban it for all kids. Yeah. And, and, you know, part of the justification that you hear for these, you know, you know, bans is that, you know, what is the saying to our community when we allow our kids access to these books? And I'm just like, okay. So, but what is it really saying? Right. Well, and okay. do you think that reading about certain things will make a kid do those things? things. Okay. Because if that's the case, then we need to ban Catcher in the Rye, and it's taught in every high school I've school. ever heard of. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know. Like, or seriously, I mean, we like be careful about that. Be careful about you know what they're saying is, I I don't want the LGBTQIA to influence my kid. I'm kid. Like, if your kid is LGBTQIA, they need to know that they are reflected in books. books. And if they're not in that in that arena, they need to know that their friends might be in that arena. Yes. Hello. Like okay. they don't your kids don't live alone in the world. They don't live alone in the world and it can help them to go ahead and figure out who they are. Right. right? I mean, and to and, and understand who their friends, their friends are. are and, you know, in that and there are other people, whether people. they like them or not. Yeah. Right. You know, when I, you know, would read about, you know, certain behaviors in books um, and uh, if I didn't like them, OK, then the book helped shape who I am. Right. right. OK. You know, OK. So, you know, look at, you know, um, uh, I, I, I remember reading. um uh, 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 it was, um, uh, uh, Alice Walker's The Color Purple, right? And there were depictions in that book, okay, of, of, of a man physically harming, okay, his spouse, okay? And I, I found those depictions horrific, okay? Right. And it helped shaped my internalize the idea that you would never do that to a partner yourself. yourself. Because that's not the way you depict love. Right. Okay. You can't go ahead and say to somebody else, I love you. Now let me go ahead and, you know, uh, beat your face to a bloody pulp. Right. Okay. That's wrong. But, and and it's not how good men behave. Okay. And it, 
already reinforced what I was already being taught, okay, in school. It and helped, at home. And at home, okay. Um, and I, I think it helped shape who I am as a person today. Right. Char- the, the, other, the other side of that is also true. I read Charlotte's Web. It did not make me a marketer. Because <laughs> that's what Charlotte does. Yes. Right? She markets Wilbur. Yes. <laughs> he's fantastic. He's this, he's that. He's that yes. Whatever. Yeah. Um, she she markets him as a pit. It didn't make me a marketer, nor did it give me a huge love of spiders. I still don't love spiders. I love Charlotte because Charlotte's a good spider, right? Yeah. But that's the other thing is sometimes a book's just a book. Yes. I'm not trying to be ugly and the librarians, oh, man, I can hear you all clenching right now um, and and moaning. But sometimes a book's just a book. Just a book. And mm-hmm. that's okay, too. Not every book is life-altering. Not every book changes. I have read that. I've read hundreds of books that I don't remember. Yeah. And I've read a, I've read a few, probably a couple hundred, that have truly stayed with me. Yes. <clears throat> but why not let that be the case? The more you fuss over a book, the more likely a kid's going to want to read it, first of all. Oh, yeah. I mean, hello, I mean, kids yeah. are oppositional just by the nature of being a kid. Yeah. But I mean, also, why don't take those books as a learning opportunity? Have the kid read the book and then talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, what was what did you what did you think about that? Let, let's talk about it as a family. But no, they want to take the shortcut of I'm just gonna ban the book. Like, no. okay, lazy. Lazy parenting. That's what that is. That's lazy parenting, it's lazy society. The Ooh, one last... I got all crabby there at the end. Sorry, no, that, that's quite all right. But before we conclude, um, and 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 I know some listeners are going to be like, "Okay, Augie, you study the Supreme Court." Let's say any of these book bans from Florida, Texas, Missouri, whatever, you know, you know, if they get to the Supreme Court with the current Supreme Court, how do you think they they're going to rule, right? Um, and and I really think that for many of the justices, no matter where they fall on the ideological spectrum, I think more of them are probably going to fall. Um, they're going to probably pull out Byron White's separate opinion and say, this is the standard, right? Okay. Um, His intent. Okay. What is the intent in the ban? That's right. That lower federal courts should do a searching, if you will, investigation at trial to determine what are the reasons why these books are being banned, right? Mm. Okay. Um, and and I know that's the, a nebulous standard, but I really do believe that of the perspectives offered in the PICO case, the one that will probably resonate the most with the current Supreme Court justices, where you might actually get, you know, you will see liberals and conservatives actually coming together and doing what they do with quite a bit of, you know, frequency. Okay. Sorry, we we say that a lot on this podcast, but, you know, hey, the Supreme Court, the justices actually agree quite frequently. Okay. They will go ahead and come out and say, okay, school boards have the authority, but, okay, it has to be based on reasoned decision-making, right? It just can't be a blanket ban, okay, that, you know, displays animus towards certain thoughts. They have to be able to justify it in terms of protecting the educational environment for the children, right? So, Which probably means that before you ban a book, you should read it. You should read it. You should allow there to be a full discussion right. of, you know, parents and school librarians. Okay. But, you know, a lot of what goes on in, 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 in Nia, please forgive me for saying this, but a lot of, go, well, of what goes on increasingly in school boards today is school board members and their various, you know, teachers and staffers are just like, well, how dare you challenge us? Well, 
but that is an episode for Dude, another, for another time. time. Yes. Okay. We we can discuss that, and we probably yeah. should at some yeah. point discuss yeah. the the whole whether school boards are actually democratic or not, and how oh. things how yeah. things work. Right. I know. Yes. Augie just threw his hands up, y'all. You can't see it, but he threw his hands up like ah, I surrender. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a discussion we will have another time. Oh, hey, thanks, Augie. I appreciate and and I appreciate you you explaining that this is a far more nuanced thing than the media is currently like, Oh no, it's fine. Bands are not okay. Like, well, that's not really true. So thank you for, yeah. for clarifying that it's a four, one, four vote, which is about as divided as the court as could be. Can get. And, and, and I also, since we're throwing kudos here, uh, I want to thank you, uh, Nia, for taking time earlier in the episode to explain how librarians pick books, right? Because there's, you know, I'm I'm, a, I'm afraid so many Americans think that, you know, librarians have these, you know, political axes to grind with the books that they pick. No, they don't. They're doing a job. And for Actually, many we of... do have political axes to grind. We just grind them on both sides. I mean, the... <laughs> Yes, you're right. We we grind them on both sides. I am supposed to find material. Yeah, yeah. That covers the entire spectrum of an art of an argument so that you, the reader, can decide, decide. yeah, for yourself. Yeah. Right. Okay. And um, and I think but... thank you because I do think that there's a I think that people think um that librarians are trying to bend the the collections to be either progressive or woke or or conservative and and you know and traditional and so and and it's really not even close to that kind of no i mean because for most librarians they want people to come to the library and use the materials at the library right, right. i mean if, I mean, hey, in part, it's somewhat self-serving, you know, because the more people use the library, the more you're going to have a job. But it's also because most librarians want people to go ahead and access books, access, you know, materials in the collections to do research, okay, to explore, to be curious, etc. I mean, almost every librarian I've met is just like, here's my world. Come into my world and let me share, okay, how great it is, Right. Right. I mean, and look at all these ideas. Yes. Right? You you should be partaking of all of it. It's like a smorgasbord. Board, yeah. You should have a little bit of everything. Yes. Because it will make you a better person. Yes. You're exposed the more ideas you're exposed to, and the more that that broadens I mean, your horizons, the better a human you are. I mean, listeners, think about, you know, the times we've had um um uh, uh our good friend uh in, in Nia's colleague in the library, Hillary, come on, right? Who we okay. okay, she just I mean, the the smile you guys can't see this because you know this is a podcast, but I mean the smile on her face and how animated she gets about talking about, you know, trademarks and copyrights and okay, and and, and, <laughs> and, and publishing you know, and how and it all works. Works, right? Okay, I mean, you can't go ahead and 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 have that experience with that librarian and go ahead and say, you know, that's not, you know, that's some fascinating stuff, right? Right. Okay. Okay. You know, it, it's kind of sort of like, you know, Nia, you've said this about me in regards to, you know, uh, when we do Constitution Day, right? Okay. I can't wait for it to begin. Right. I mean, you know, I you I arrive get, early, you're wearing your suit and tie, right? You're ready. Okay. To, you're all like dressed up in your Sunday best. Sunday best. I got my best coffee in my favorite mug. Okay. And I'm going to go ahead and, you know, try to, um, 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 you know, you know, convert some people to the wonder and joy of the constitution. <laughs> right? See, that's because fascination is infectious. Oh, yeah. Right. And and the more somebody else is fascinating or interesting, the more infectious that becomes. You're like, oh, okay, well, I have to know more. That's why people end up in the Internet at 4 (laughs) a.m. saying, I don't know how I got here. It's because you start by looking up whether Elton John is still alive or not. 
And, and four then, and a half hours uh, later, later you're like, you're just, oh, you're, that's how you make falafel. Like you just, it, it's, it, you, you, how did I even get here? Four hours later, you're reading the backstory to, um, you know, <laughs> you know, some Elton John uh, album that he made like in 1974. And you're like, I, huh? Wow. That, how did I get? How did I get here from you're, there? You're there, yeah. right? Okay, but there you are at four o'clock in the morning. Like, oh man, I got to go to bed. Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Work today is going to drag bad, right? Anyways, Nia, thank you very much. Thank you, Augie. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.